0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon. You are very welcome to Liveline. Katie Hannon with you until three o'clock today. And I want to go straight over to Roger now. Roger, good afternoon to you. Good, good afternoon, Katie. I'm first on today, am I? You're first on. First up. First up, best, best dressed, Roger. Very listen, good. Listen, uh, we're all, yeah. you know what? We're, we got such a buzz this week out of having Dolly Parton on the live line. And yes, that's fantastic. Are you were on your way to Nashville, Roger. I am indeed. I am indeed. On the 31st, I'm heading over on Tuesday. Is it Tuesday the 31st until uh, November the 12th? And are you a big, you're obviously a big country fan, are you? Oh, God, I, I am. I've been, it's been my, my my passion for many, many years now, Katie. Many years, girl. I love it. Yeah. How did well, you... I, I, I like lots of other music as well. I like jazz and I like, I like the, the, the Irish lads and the country music end of it. But uh, traditional country really uh, was what I was reared on and that's what, that's what I love. And so you must, you must have nearly fallen off your chair when you heard Dolly this week, did you? Oh, I, I thought she was lovely. She's she's a marvelous woman, and she for PR and uh, and and the work she has done across as well. You know this this lending this library that she has initiated there for young kids, young school kids is amazing. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic. She, she believes in spreading her wealth around. I'd say, in fairness, so. she is uh, really is a class act. Uh, you've been yeah. to Dollywood yourself, Roger. I have, yeah, I have, yeah. It's it's about it's a nice little trip now out of Nashville, but you know everybody wants to go there, and you, it's in the Smoky Mountains anyway. And you have another beautiful place alongside it called Gatlinburg. I had I have friends there, and I go up and stay there with them. So that's only a hop, a jump, and a step from. Uh, to Dollywood from there. And again, again like, board. B- b- describe Dollywood to me because I kind of trying to get my head around the idea of a Dollywood theme park now, built around Dolly. It has changed a fair bit now since I was there and the the time I was there now they had lots of uh, little theatres there where actors performed. You had, of course, you had a, a, a full-size steam engine circling the whole the whole area there that you can hop on is all part of your admittance fee, you know. Then she has a theatre there as well. And one of the times we were there, we were very lucky because she was actually doing a photo shoot for an album cover. Mm-hmm. So she did a sort of a meet and greet inside in the theatre. And it was open house to everybody. So we got in. And did and you so meet she her? Was, uh, I did, yeah. Uh, she was fantastic. She she has a house there, but of course she doesn't live there. Yeah. But, uh, nobody knows where she is half the time. Like she has houses out there <laughs> all over the states, you know. But uh, but you, you know, did I, actually. I, I, I you did. I did, yeah. I did, and uh, um, I didn't actually meet her. You know, she came to Cork, and as part of the uh, live at the Marquee. She performed here in Cork, and as it so yeah. happened, when was that again? Because a number of oh, people said God. to me that uh, it has to be ten years. Yeah, ago, that it, they uh, saw her there. Yeah, that was a yeah. fantastic concert. But the strange thing about it was, um, you know, the marquees like you have a centre pole holding up the marquee, so there's always a little bit of uh, exposure there. And didn't it rain? And she came out to do her act, and the next thing she felt the drops of rain on top of her, but she, like she passed it off. She said the Lord was, was sending blessings down on us, so she, she, was, she just moved aside and passed it off. So she, you know, she took it in her stride, as she always does. Yeah, that was nine years ago, I'm told. Yeah, nine no, years right, ago. Well, she was we're, in not, Cork, we're yeah. not too far out. Yeah, not too far out. Yeah, yeah. but she made, she made it through anyway. The week didn't get too wet. 
No, I don't. No, I said, oh, no. She just stepped back a wee bit. It said there wasn't a whole lot of water coming down on it. Um, um, and what got you into country music, Roger? Country music? I'd say probably um, I always quote a neighbour of mine who had uh, some Hank Williams LPs in the old days and the yellow label they called them which are very rare and he used to have the front door open and the windows open and the volume up to 10 and every time I passed the house I heard this this the strains of your cheating heart and all that stuff you know from uh, Hank Williams I was of course I was I always described myself as um a teenager of the 50s, Katie. So I was reared on rock and roll, really. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, Elvis and Bill Haley and Chuck Berry and all that crack. That was that was my upbringing originally. And then when that, that started to fade, and of course we had the show bands that came in, but from there on then I graduated to country and that's been my music since. And as it happens, Dolly's going the opposite direction because she's got the new rock album now, out now. She's going from country oh, to rock. Yeah, but she's, you know, it wouldn't be our first time venturing into rock or modern music, you know. Uh, what the columns, um, she, she, when she moved, she moved to an agency in New York there at one stage and uh, she, she recorded uh, about three pop albums. Mm-hmm. And then, because uh, when, when uh, the strange thing is then she turned full circle and she came home and she recorded four bluegrass albums which was her original music and where she was reared, you know. Yeah. That was the music they played in, in her younger days. So because, uh, fair enough to her, didn't she? Uh, Little Sparrow was one of them now. And, and uh, I forget what the rest of you, but you have both four bluegrass albums. Fabulous stuff altogether. Yeah, fabulous. bluegrass is fabulous. Absolutely yeah. Uh, fabulous music. Yeah, because to me, it's about the only true, uh, country, the only true music that's left, you know country has changed so much now you wouldn't recognise it with all the modern artists you know Yeah would you have an issue now with that because there's so much crossover and uh, you know the the, yeah. tr- the tradition has changed so much I wouldn't uh, Katie in so far as the music would have died otherwise you see the CMA was formed back in 1959 and it was the only we say organisation dedicated to a particular genre of music. This is the, country, the, the country music awards, you mean? The country, country music, music association. Association, yeah. I should say. That yeah. was 1959, and like they, they obviously they were far seeing enough to realise that once this generation dies out, like that the music is going to die. So you know they they kind of they they brought it uptown a little, but of course a lot of it started. Uh, earlier than that as well, with Chet Atkins and and the A team in Nashville, when they call, you know when they when they when they introduced strings and all that to to traditional artists, and they they switched over, likes of Ray Price and all those fellas. Now they had big hits like, but they added strings to the, to the traditional. Uh, we'll say steel and fiddle, and then the steel and fiddle show were, were dropped practically mm-hmm. from a lot of the modern stuff. But other than that, you see, Katie, I don't think, I mean, how many of my generation are still around to listen to Hank Williams and that kind of stuff, you know? And and going back, I I love George Jones, Merle Haggard, Buck Owens, Hank Snow, you know, Amy Lou Harris and all that kind of stuff. What you haven't revealed to us, Roger, is what exactly is your generation? 
My generation. <laughs> well, I'm I'm 87. Ooh. June 26. Fair play to you, Roger. <laughs> and flying at it. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it. It keeps me alive, Katie. It keeps me alive, the music. And the friendships, I tell you. What I, I what I love about it is the friendships. I've been writing a column now for the local paper, The Echo, for over 50 years, I'd say. That so must that be something of a record. You must be one of the longest running. Contributors, I'd say. You Maybe, yeah, about the outside contributors, I must be. Yeah. But that gives me a little bit of cred then as well, you see. And I, I get... Um, I get accredited for even the CMA Awards now next week or the week afterwards and uh, all all functions that I want to go to or festivals or shows in Nashville I can get accreditation for them mainly mainly and I know that you love one of the Dolly songs that one of my favourites I think might even be my, my, the absolute favourite oh, I Will Always Love You oh god we, we played oh, it on we played it when we had Dolly yeah. it's so beautiful yeah, yeah. but, uh, but and it's I, not I, a lot I tell people it because it's not a love. It wasn't written as a as a romantic love song, was it? I don't think. Well, you see that the, the general sort of consensus is that it was a kind of a, a salute to, to Porter, you know, which was, her, was her leaving Porter, business partner, Porter her, Wagner, yeah, yeah her, Porter, her, her original mentor, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Her singing partner, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, as far as you know, the the real uh, I'd say the real to go back on the music itself, the real popularity of country music. Uh, started in in '69 uh, when Wembley. I don't know if you, you wouldn't remember the Wembley festivals. There was an international festival started in Wembley mm-hmm. on one day, a Good Friday, Easter week, on '69, and eventually developed into a three-day festival. And it went on for 22 years. And any one year there, over three days, you could meet 50 American acts that used to come and perform there for three days. And then they had a separate stage as well for an international show, which included Irish and British and, uh, you know, European acts. Mm-hmm. But the main acts were all American. And uh, we, we could we had access to them even. It was fantastic. There was no security there, really. You could get into the press room and you could meet them all there and interview them. But all that has changed an awful lot now, of course. You couldn't get near most of the acts now. But, you know, one of the very first um, assignments I was given as a very young reporter in... In mm. the Evening Herald was I was sent down to I think it was the Olympia to yeah. uh, write up a piece about um, Johnny Cash Oh my god yeah, yeah, uh, yeah He was yeah. playing the Olympia and uh, what a concert that was he's a, Oh yeah he, I mean for me he's like he's up there with and I know I was actually we just looked it up uh, there He he's gone 20 years last month imagine Good lord imagine that yeah um, but size. I'm sure you know somebody like yourself now. You must. You, have you seen Johnny? Did you see Johnny Cash play? I did. Where? Oh yes, I met him several times, and I was, I was on personal, friendly terms with his guitar player, Bob Wooden. Bob was with him for 33 years, yeah. and I, I knew his. I know. I still know. Know uh, Joanne, his sister. They came on tour when Johnny died. Bob got the bug. You say again. <laughs> He wanted the tour, so we got. He came and uh, Joanne came with him. They were up with with uh, on the Tuberty show even one morning. Then I drove him up, 
and uh, Bob and, and herself they stayed with me and, the, and the, she got a, a tummy bug the poor devil and she was she nearly passed away in us we had to get the doctor in to see her even you know something she was amazed at because they don't do house calls in America you see yeah. so the doc came in he gave an he gave an injection and he gave me a note for her that if she got any worse he had a bed reserved for inside in, in, in the, the pans in the hospital I didn't realise. Sorry, Roger. I didn't realise that you actually had this personal connection to the. Oh, yeah. So she's lovely. She's a beautiful lady altogether. And Bob, Bob is dead now. The poor devil. But he was. He. he, You see, it's amazing, Katie. In in a lot of the uh, the shows, um, you know, moseying around, you'll often get to know the band better than you would the 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 actors. The actors is always tied up so much and. So many people dragging off at him. I'd go over and I'd talk to the guitar player, the drummer, or somebody like that, you know, and because there'd, there'd be no fuss about it and, and they'd have plenty of time to talk to you. And they'd have plenty but of stories for you. They would, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they wouldn't tell any, any, any inside stuff. There was a lot of inside stuff on Johnny that Bob wouldn't tell me yet. Tell <laughs> Was there now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got, I want to play a bit of Johnny because uh, because it's Friday and uh, yeah. because uh, you're such a big fan like myself, yeah. Roger. Uh, I think we share a favourite, Walk the Line. Yeah, well, that was, that was really the one that turned me on to him. It was his first big hit, and it's amazing how how popular he he toured. He toured regularly. You see, he was he was uh, there was a, an English promoter brought him over three or four times, and everybody got to know him here. And he, he was a kind of he was a very amenable fellow. And, you know, there was only a few that really made it huge in the old days here. You had Slim Whitman and you had Jim Reeves. And of course, you had Johnny Cash. Johnny, Johnny was one of the first to tour here regularly. And uh, you know how he he got the chicka boom sound. That was the, the, in the in the old days. He put a, a piece of uh, cardboard on underneath the strings to create the kind of the uh, the chicka boom chicka boom chicka boom sound. You know. Yeah, and it's a, it, and it really drives. It drives. That's it's a real. It it's such a it sound. Does, yeah. yeah, it's oh, yeah. Uh, uh, absolutely brilliant. I, yeah. Do you know? I often wonder the. The, the country and Irish uh, country, that that, that yes. sound. Yes. The, how that is so geographically centred on sort of uh, north of the Midlands, Midlands and the, the kind of the north west of the country, yes. uh, you know, around the border counties. Is there a, yeah. is there a particular reason for that? Um, well, I, I, I certainly, as you say, that there are far more musicians and far more bands playing it. Even even in the show band days, like you had an awful lot of north of the border, even the, the typical and and those people. But uh, you know, if you come come a little bit south, and you get you had uh, Ray Lynham and the Hillbillies, like one of the leading bands. Yeah. And and you know he he was he was really a pioneer in the in the country in the country business. I know he the first one to put a band together. And you know Ray, Ray Lynham followed maybe shortly after that. But uh, but then you know come further again. You had Tony Stevens and and a, a few of them from the south. And you had uh, T R Dallas and more to itself. It was a great it was a, a real. A hotbed for country, you know, because that's where the, the, the Allens and the Foster and Allens and the Ray Lynams and all these were were were, were living, you know. The fa- so, and of course, nowadays you see, should they have studios? And most most of the 
big towns uh, all over the country. There, there's some fantastic recordings being made now. And the musicianship has improved to such an extent that they don't need to go to Nashville anymore to record it. You know, thankfully, it's a big industry here now. I think people would be stunned at uh, how big, like Foster and Alan, you just mentioned them there. Yeah, yeah. They're massive, aren't they? No, people don't realise it. They're, they're, as they say, they're huge down under. <laughs> they, they, they used to tour Australia regularly, sure. Yeah, and no. they were huge, absolutely. But and and but the biggest of all, of course, is and we can't forget him is Daniel O'Donnell. Oh yeah, and we had Daniel on oh, here yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Great, I yeah. I'm mad about Daniel, and he's, yeah. I was absolutely delighted uh, to get a chance to talk to him. Now, it was about something else uh, for this program, yeah. but yeah, a total superstar, Daniel O'Donnell. Absolutely, we were on a tour one time there in the states, and we went. We stayed a few days in Branson, in Missouri, where he plays every year for two weeks. And he sells out the biggest theatre there. It's the tri, it's a tri style, tri state. I'm not sure. It's two thousand six hundred. I kind of moseyed up to one of the 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 well, call them the janitors there one night, and I was, you know, I said to me, "How's this Irish fella doing here?" I said, "You know," and uh, he says to me, "One of the best acts we ever had here." He said, "He's the only one that sells out every night." Yeah. fills the place and you should see the buses inside in the car park when we arrived there so we thought it was out of town we'd be lucky to get a you know five or six hundred people 2,600 there and it was the same every night yeah incredible yeah you know, absolutely and he opened doors for an awful lot of people as well you see you know he spread the word about the Irish artists and a lot of others followed in, in his footsteps fair juice to him well hang on now let me bring in stay where you are Roger uh, Tom yeah. Tom how are you how are you doing, Katie? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, you're, am I right? You are actually in America right now, are you, Tom? I'm, yeah, I'm right. in America. I'm in uh, my box uh, in Missouri. Like It's a pub here where my son's band sometimes play a residency. And your son's so, band uh, is called? Jig Jam. Jig Jam. Uh, Jig Jam, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know them, Roger, yeah. yeah? I do indeed, yeah, yeah. They yeah. made their grand old opera debut in oh Nashville uh, last March. Which, Just fantastic time. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it was, we, we, flew out to, we flew out to see it. Like, it was just an amazing experience. It was like, yeah. an unusual world experience. Uh, the band stand ovation after three after three. Hours. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. A 15-minute bus uh, uh, in, in the band. Uh, uh, Jamie, like Jim, Jim, I saw and Jamie uh, Phil, Gavin Strap, and uh, Donny Media, and uh, Danny Hunter at the time. You know? Yeah. So it was just fantastic. Though. And they're and well, they're well done. You're all off to Nashville. Yeah, they're going down to Nashville on Monday evening. Oh, unfortunately, I have to fly home. Because I have <laughs> to go back to work. Um. Uh, yeah. So they are playing at a golf tournament in Nashville today. Um, on the line there is uh, the Gatlin brothers and Vince Gill among oh, others. Yes. Yeah. Okay, do you know Tom? Oh, your line, uh, Tom. I will try and sort out your line for you because it's kind of going uh, going a little on us, and I want to hear what you're saying. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll let the the guys here try and see if they can get a better line for you. Um, in the meantime, maybe I'll bring in Trish. Trish, good afternoon. Hi, Katie. Good afternoon, Katie. Good afternoon, Trish. <laughs> you're a big fan of Johnny Cash as well. 
well, you know, I'm a big fan, but I have to be honest and say I've never seen him in concert. And I suppose, but he was always one of those stars in the distance that, you know, I never thought I'd ever meet or anything. And I was running along Nassau Street one day and I was late meeting a friend outside BT's. And my, my head was, my face was facing the ground because I had high heels on. So I was looking where my feet were going. And I bumped into what I thought was a wall. And when I looked up, I said, oh my God, it was black. And when I looked up, there was Johnny Cash in his long black coat with a big black rimmed hat. And I'd say it was like Santa Claus. I felt it was like seeing Santa Claus live. And I said, oh my God, my face. And he gave a big smile, tilted the head to one side and gave me a big wink. I couldn't believe it. And, and did then you, I ran. Did you yeah. melt, Trish? Did you melt? I melted. I couldn't. But he was a very handsome, big, strong man. And of course, I knew all his music. I, I had his LPs many years ago. And I, and I loved his wife, uh, June Carter. I mean, they were, they were great. And so, and I watched him on television. So to see somebody that I'd seen on television so many times, but never, I couldn't believe it. Then when I met my friends, I said, you'll never guess what, who I've met, who I bumped into. So it was real surreal. It was just lovely. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And just, the, he gave me that wink, that Johnny Carson wink, and tilted the head to one side. It was just lovely. It was just lovely. Oh that, that's God. all I, can, I have to say. I can <laughs> actually picture it. I can actually picture it now. Um, because, and he was, yeah. you're right. He was such handsome. Yeah, you know, just that sweep of the hair and and the, dr- yeah. the dramatic clothes he wore as well. That long black coat. He used to wear those kind of yeah. high kind of western collars and western ties. Yes, uh, and and the big black coat. And he was just so, he was. I just bumped into something like a wall. I just couldn't believe it that when I saw black and I looked up and there was his face underneath his big black rimmed hat and the big long black coat and he was with some guy he, he was in town I, I you know I saw he was in town maybe he was on telly or something but I, I couldn't believe it so uh, yeah that, that's all I've got to say well, but, th- you know. Thank you Trish uh, thanks for sharing that moment uh, that you'd have forever uh, because he was off his, he obviously Johnny Cash came here quite a few times over his career and I think we actually have a clip of him talking about uh, the song he wrote about her, and of course, 40 Shades of Green. Do we have it from that documentary yet? Yeah. Let's play that. I was uh, in a car with a roadmap of Ireland in my lap, rhyming the names. I just, you know, the names in Ireland just beg to be sung anyway. So to get the title, I guess I just looked out the window and there they were, the 40 Shades of Green. But it was all brought home to me not long, not long after that when someone from the White House told me that uh, he was with President John F. Kennedy when he came to, to Ireland. And as they were landing, President Kennedy was looking out the window and said, I see Johnny Cash's 40 Shades of Green. That was a big moment in my life and my career to know that uh, that, that song had reached out that far. Hate cutting that off, but I want to bring in because we got Tom back on there. Tom, are you still there? I'm still here, Katie. Yeah. So you're saying that uh, your son's band is off uh, to Nashville to play this week, is it? Yeah. On Monday, uh, they play. They have to go down to Nashville, so they leave here. Uh, I think they're driving down. Like uh, they'll drive down, and then they're doing golf tournament, um, which includes. Um, 
Catlin Brothers and um, Vince Gill. Oh, right. As yeah. far as I know. So it's all a bit much. It's spe- <laughs> you know but it, it, did, he, did he get this from you, like the, the love of the country music, Tom? Well, uh, the, t- the two boys, the lead singer, Jamie uh, and Gavin, would both have been from the trad world. Right. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. So Jamie started the band then in 2012. And they kind of crossed over to an eyegrass, like so. It's a, a fusion of um, of trad and, and bluegrass in Ireland, yeah. And it, incorporating our own traditional music in it as well. So, you know what I mean? It's um, so that's an act- that's an actual genre, music genre of its own, eyegrass. Oh well, yeah. They're trying to they're creating this like um, you know mix of the cultures, like of music. Yeah. You know, from you know the fiddle playing of the people who. Travelled across uh, from Ireland in the 1800s, like, and brought their fiddle and their music with them. And, you know, it's, you know, it's high tempo, some of it, you know, and some of it is very authentic American and little bits of Irish stuff thrown into it, you know. Yeah, I did. I saw a fantastic documentary years ago about the influence trad Irish music has on on American um, country music. And it really, it's... It's this fantastic. Um, it's there's a fantastic story to be told there about you know how it kind of fed That's its way through to the modern sound. Yeah, well, the the, the they introduced him as the Irish Elvis because he's quite a tall guy, the least singer like, and uh, <laughs> you know they put on a, they put on a show. It's just an amazing theatre, and anyone who's lucky enough to follow a gig there or see you know, see it as as a place, Nashville, even Missouri here now. It's huge. Everything is musically. Yeah, it's brilliant. So Jig Jam, do they do they have an album out, Tom? Do they indeed? Yeah. Well, I flew out to see to make a video with them. I kind of starred in this video. It's about the Pope John D. McGorks. So all the trad people listening, they would know, like that John D. McGorks is the famous Irish pub here in uh, Solard in, in Missouri. And who who do and, you play uh, in the video? <laughs> I play a busker. Would you believe? No. <laughs> So, you know, I, well, I was playing, I played the bar on myself, like and my wife plays. I hope she's listening in her own. So my wife Susan and my other son, we all play trad music. So, like, I, I was um, with a shower of buskers wandering along the street. I'm sure there was cars looking at me saying, Who is this? Who's man? your man? <laughs> Who's your man? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, oh, what's the look, what, What's the video? What's the name of the song? We have to look out for it. Um, it's uh, John D. McGurk's. John D. McGorks. You know, it's the... quite, yeah, it's quite, I think it's dropping fairly soon. Like, let's have an album coming out now shortly. Like, uh, you know, I'm like, we, I, we were leaving the theatre, like, it's some uh, in Nashville, and some of us were, me being very emotional, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And this fellow turned to me, I said, that's just an amazing experience. And he said, ah, oh, yeah, but he said, it's not the late lecture. We have to get him on the late lecture. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I said, okay, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe for Christmas. Maybe, you know, maybe Tom. You know. Maybe Tom. Uh, maybe. maybe they're listening right now. And uh, listen, thanks for that. And uh, best of luck and best of luck to to Thank the to the lads. You yeah, brilliant. Bye-bye. Thank you. And uh, you know, just if five one double five one is the text, the WhatsApp nine is oh eight seven one eight four three seven oh nine. If you have a memory of Johnny or any of our big country stars, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I got to take a break now, um, but stay with us because we have Sandy Kelly who actually played with Johnny after the break.
Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And I have to say, if you're craving a country music fix after all of this, uh, Brian Lally is always there every Saturday evening on RTE Radio 1, just after 11pm with fantastic, fantastic country music there from Brian uh, uh, he's a uh, he's he he's an absolute an absolute uh, uh, encyclopedia of knowledge about music of all kinds and particularly country music. Uh, but I want to go on five one double five one. If you've seen Johnny, if you've uh, any other thoughts on this, oh eight seven one eight four three seven oh nine is the WhatsApp line. Sandy Kelly, good afternoon to you. Hello, Katie. How are you? I'm what good. a lovely program today. Oh, my God. We're so enjoying it. And uh, you, Sandy, I know you had a very special relationship with Johnny Cash. I was absolutely blessed uh, to have met him and Aunt June and the Carter family and to have worked with them over a period of, of um, 10 years, really, in the end. And then I recorded two songs with him, which were gold records. Yeah. Um, Woodcarver, as you may be aware of, of and uh, Ring of Fire, which June co-wrote. So I know. Do you as know a result of that, then, people don't realise that, that 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 Ring of Fire, which got one of his biggest biggest hits, uh, big hit for yourself. Yeah, and June's sister Anita Carter, she recorded that first of all, like a slow version of it, and Johnny just happened to pass through the studio, and he said he went to bed that night and had a dream, and he heard a more up-tempo version with that trumpet, da 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 and he said to Anita, look, if you don't have a hit record with that, can I have it? And the rest is history. Yeah, and that's so June, and June was an amazing... Uh, influence on him and an amazing musician in her own right. I think she might have been on stage with him the night I saw him in, or she might have come on uh, for a song the night I saw him in Dublin uh, back in the early 90s. Well, I was there that night, Katie. You were there as well, Sandy. You were, actually. (laughs) It was a kind of, I tell you, my memory of that is that it was a big party feeling on stage. Everyone was brought on. It was like an amazing gig. You could be forgiven for, to forget me because there was Chris Christopherson. Yes. There was Johnny Cash, June Carter, the Carter sisters. And you might remember Bono and yes. the entire band made a surprise walk-on. Because Bono so, wanted uh, Johnny to record a song with him, wasn't it? That's right. That's right. And they were this, at the side of the stage um, discussing this song that they were going to record. They were going to meet the next day. And I'm a huge Bono and U2 fan. Mm-hmm. And when they walked in, I was sitting on a high stool just waiting to go on to sing with Johnny. And uh, when they walked in backstage, I, you can imagine, I turned around and this you two walked in. And I turned into a 12-year-old, a babbling 12-year-old. And I've never had an opportunity since to actually rectify that. So it's one of the things in my head, that a box I need to tick because, he, I, I mean... He might horrendous. be listening. He might be listening right now, Sandy. So what, what, do you, what do you want to say to <laughs> If somebody knows Bono, would you please tell him that I'd like to meet him properly and, and you know, convince him I, I'm not 12. I, lo- <laughs> I love the fact that you're as cool as a breeze about Johnny Cash, one of the biggest stars, music stars in the world at that stage. And uh, <laughs> and, the, and the local guy from down the road. <laughs> <laughs> but, but going back to Johnny, you know, um, I was blessed to have known them, not just as, you know, the wonderful musicians and artists that they were, but to have spent time with them and their family and travelled the roads and spent time at their home and see how just 
normal they were and how they loved to cook and what. He was a fabulous cook. She was a fabulous cook. And they, they loved family and home. And both of them had the most magnificent sense of humour. Yes. Will you hang on? What, don't go anywhere, Sandy, because you know the way you felt around Bono? I have, yeah. a, I have a caller who feels the same around you. I think <laughs> if I can... Break, Mary, are you there? Or who, it's Yeah, Mary, how are you? Hi, Katie. Hi. I'm, I'm just listening to your show. Hi, Sandy. I was listening you? to the show and I heard um, Katie talking about Johnny Cash and just your song with Johnny came into my head. I sent off an email saying, is there any chance you could play Sandy with Johnny? Oh. I absolutely adore the song. I love your oh, voice. You. I have heard you in concert. I've heard you being interviewed. You're fascinating oh, to listen wow. to. And I just wanted to come on and say thank you. Mary, thank you so much. And Mary, you might not know this, but I have a new album out my first in 30 years called Leaving It All Behind. And there's a new version of Woodcarver on it that we went oh. back to his studio in Nashville and um, his son John Carter Cash and my son they kept my voice and Johnny's voice and recreated a whole new um, musical surround which is just beautiful. Can I do we have which version do we have? The original one or the new one? It's from the album my new album Katie Leaving It All Behind oh. um, I hope you have that I'm, one because Well Mark I'm not sure which one we have we might have the original one anyway. but look we'll play this so you can tell us where we are Oh my God Sandy that is so beautiful your voices oh, are so be- I know that's the original recording but oh. That is the original recording but you know um, I'm so happy that to have heard you know either or which yeah. I was so blessed is Mary still there? Mary has gone from us. She was she was so nervous talking just the way you were about about. And do you know Bono. where she's from, by the way? Uh, we, but I just if she's if she's listening, um, I'm doing a, a concert tour in March this year coming up. I would love to invite her and oh. and uh, her husband, our partner, to to come to do one of the shows. Oh, she's in Cork. I'm told. Are you down that that end I, of the country? I'm down in Cork, and I'm in the Everyman in Cork. And if she gives you her details, I would like her to come and visit and see the show. Oh, we'll definitely do that, Sandy. That's fantastic. I just oh, that song. What what is the story behind that song? It's such a beautiful it, song. It, it was. I was at his house. He invited myself and my family. My son Willie was only nine at the time to the house. They were having a party, and you can imagine in that room at that party was the face of every single country music star that was in my living room back in Sligo on the front of an album. But he, the, June and him asked me to stay back after the party and he sat in a rocking chair and June was making coffee and he took out a cassette tape and he said, Sandy, I have a song that I've been holding on to for a long time and I would like to record it with you if you'd like the song. At which point I answered, well, if it's three blind mice, I'd love to record it with you. I don't really care what it is. So he put it on and the story was that I was, I was the girl and I was asking the woodcarver to carve my dreams, you know, the house of my dreams, the man of my dreams. And at, in, at the very end of the song, then it turns out that he is the man of my dreams and he is the person. And it's, it's a love song, really. Um, but I mean, when you stand on a stage night after night looking at Johnny Cash, staring right into your eyes, singing that, I mean... You have to be made of tough stuff. <laughs> you sure do, Sandy. You sure do. Uh, listen, thanks so much, Sandy. It's so lovely to, to hear not from you and so lovely to hear your voice. And, and it's great to hear you you've got another album uh, on the go. Thank you. And, and also for anybody else, because I, 
once you get me talking about Johnny Cash, I love him so much. Um, I have a book out at the moment on O'Brien Press, and there's a lot of really wonderful, funny, beautiful stories in there about Johnny and June. Great. Great to hear it. I'm sure loads of fans out there will will love that. Thanks a million, Sandy. And can I bring in T.R. Dallas now? T.R. Hi, Katie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm absolutely twice as good now that I'm listening to this programme <sighs> and to hear RT talking about country music and, and speaking to Irish country artists. Yeah. It made my day, yeah. But come here, you toured with Johnny Cash yourself. I was lucky, yeah. We used to do Wembley every year and uh, Johnny did Wembley. I don't know what year it was, but then in 90, I think it was 94, 95 or something, he was touring in England. He was looking for support and... Uh, a girl called Cameron Mannion, who worked in the office in London for the Wembley Festival, uh, put me in touch with them, or my office in touch with them at the time. And I got the job to tour for three weeks in the UK. So it was, that was lovely. And what was he like uh, to, you know... Well, Katie, he was the very same as Roger Ryan there. Yeah. <laughs> he was just as humble and down-to-earth as you could find. And one night we were in Sheffield doing a show, and uh, I was sitting in my dressing room, and the next thing a knock came on the door... And it was Johnny, and he said, do you mind if we use your bathroom? And I said, no, walk away there. So he went in, and he came back out, and he sat on the edge of the couch, and we chatted for maybe a half an hour, and he was just the very same as you and me and anybody else. He was a very humble man, and he just loved talking, and he loved Ireland. And of course, they all said they love Ireland, but he really did, you know, and he, had, he knew so much about it, you know. But, uh, the thing yeah, about, I suppose that the thing about him, and, I, you know, anyone who knows anything about his, his life story, he went through a very tough time that June Carter pulled him through, and it probably did kind of define him, you know, in terms of his view of life and, and his approach to things as he Absolutely. went on. But he came from very humble beginnings. And, and he, as you said, he went through a lot and uh, he got out the other side and he was so happy to be where he was at the end. And uh, But most of these guys are, you know, we would have met a lot of them down through the years, the different singers, you know, Charlie Pride and these people. And they all have, would have, a lot of them would have come from humble beginnings, and like all of us, you know, got the lucky break, and, and was was very lucky to make a living out of what we love to do. Tr, what's your real name? Tom, Tom, Tom Allen. And the Dallas is that? Did that come from the Dallas of the, of, of oh, back in the eighties? Well, the first song I recorded was "Who Shot Jr." back in nineteen eighty, which is forty three years ago. Oh my God! Written, written by a guy called Rocky Stone from Cork. Is it forty three uh, years since Jr. was shot in Dallas? It is. Yes, it's over forty three. Oh, nineteen eighty. Yeah, about I don't know whenever March, April nineteen eighty, and uh, we got the song and. Uh, the rest is history. We brought it out here and it was good. And then we brought it out in England and the, the record company in, in England at the time, they I don't know who came up with the idea of changing the name and I wasn't too happy about it. But uh, anyway, the next thing it went from TR, from TR, to, from JR to TR and Dallas was put in instead of Alan, you know. They said there was a lot of Alans because we had Tony, my brother, which is the Foster and Alan and then you had De- Dennis Allen and Limerick at the time and there was you know, mm-hmm. there was, uh, my brother Jack was also in the business at the time. So, uh, so that's and where T.R. Dallas it, it came from. Well. And the, the, the 10-gallon hat, that was there from the beginning then, was it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I even have Larry's hat, Larry Hagman's hat. I got that. Do you? The uh, actual original one that Larry yeah. wore on, the, on, on Dallas himself? 
It's actually supposed to be the one he wore the night he got shot and he has it autographed, <laughs> this hat's the token from Larry Hagman, yeah. Do you believe it was the one he wore in this scene where he was shot? I don't know, but I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the, the story sounds good, you know. <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, listen to you, great, great to hear from you. And uh, Thanks, Katie, and it's great to have this show on and I hope that the, the powers to be within RTE will waken up and realise how many thousands of people that go out listen to country music every week and maybe put on a, a kind of an entertainment show where they could use folk and Irish and... Yeah. Well, we have, as I said there, we do have Brian Lally. I'm sure you listen to him, TR. Uh, no, uh, yeah, a great, a great champion for the cause. Yeah, but it's a lot mostly American stuff you hear. It's not the, we've an awful lot of young Irish country artists in this country and all they need is a little bit of a break and it'll keep the business alive for a long, long time. Hockey doke. Okay. Okay, thanks, TR, for that. We've, we've the message out there. Uh, we'll take a break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Now we're going to park the country uh, for a little while uh, because I want to go to David. Uh, David, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Yeah, David, this is an issue that's been bubbling for for some time. Uh, You live on a barge on the Royal Canal. That's correct. And I think there's more people in doing this or, ha, you know, have been thinking about doing this over recent years, obviously, because there, there are not a lot of other alternatives for, for accommodation around. Um, how long have you been on the barge? Uh, I've been living on board for three years. And the issue now is that Waterways Ireland, who, of course, manage all the inland waterways that you can navigate around the country, they are proposing a very... Uh, significant hike in the fees to to keep a barge on, on the canals. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So tell me what what what's the current situation? What do you pay now to to have a barge moored where where you are? Current currently, we only pay two hundred and ninety six euros for the whole year. Now that fee was set a long time ago, thirty years ago, and we understand that it is too low. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, however, the uh, increase that they are proposing is an 850% increase on that in some areas, and it's higher again inside the Dublin metropolitan area. It'll go up to around €2,500 for us and over €4,000 for people living in the city centre. Right. So you're out in League Slip, is it? I am, yeah. Uh, so you, so you're currently paying 278 and uh, the proposal is to increase it up to almost tenfold, like two and a half grand, basically. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And tell me, first of all, what what, what takes, what brought you to the barge? Like, is it, do you, or do you enjoy the the freedom of, um, of, of that kind of a lifestyle or is it purely? Initially, it was, um, we were looking at, at a way to get out of the rent trap, any way out of the rent trap, because we were stuck in a situation where we were paying so much rent every month, we could not, start to save for to buy our own house mm-hmm. so we were never we were going to be renting forever we were never going to get out of it and we looked at a variety of different possibilities but um i had experience of using uh, boats on the on the canals recreationally and we looked at i knew there were houseboaters i knew that the houseboat communities existed so we looked at buying a barge and after about two years of looking we found one and bought it how much do barges go for just and i know, i imagine that's as how long as a piece of string but generally uh, yeah, that is very, very 
broad range. You know, you, you can spend up to a quarter of a million euro on a houseboat if it's well fitted out and, and large. But most of us are much more modest. You know, you'd be talking at less than 50k um, for an older one that needs a lot of work. If you wanted to buy a brand new one of the same size, you'd be looking at close to 100k, you know. They're, but, they're, but they're, even so, with everything else. Even so, Sorry? David, like it's, a, it's an incredibly good option, or was at least anyway, before this fee increase came yeah. along. €278 a year and, you know, if you were paying back a loan of, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100 grand, sure, you're Mm. you're on the pig's back really, aren't you? Well, the the finances do work out in terms of being able to get an affordable home, which then allows you to start saving to to buy a, a bricks and mortar house. Are there some people in that in that riverboat kind of or canal boat community that are committed to that lifestyle? They like living on, on, on a barge and are not actually, well, uh, you know, using it as a stop-off point on their way to buying a absolute, Absolutely, absolutely there are. And those are the people who are going to be impacted much more so than myself and my wife, you know. Um, and a lot of those folks would be people perhaps in lower income brackets or maybe retired people who chose this, uh, in some cases decades ago, chose this way of life because it was affordable for them in the long term. And now that's not going to be the case anymore. So these people are at risk of homelessness now. Yeah. And it, so you've been on the boat three or on the barge three years. Can you describe what kind of facilities can you have on a barge? Well, how does, is there? It's, it's all the same things you've got in a house, but everything works a little differently. For instance, if you want water, you need to have a pump. Um, sewage is stored in a tank which is then pumped out uh, whenever it fills up a little like a septic tank in a house um, most of our electricity just comes from solar you know we have everything you have in a house um, mm-hmm. it just works a little differently and it's obviously a bit more cramped than like it's like a small apartment yeah. I suppose <laughs> it is yeah do you know what though I've, I've lived in smaller apartments and paid a lot more rent for them so it wasn't that much of a sacrifice is it cold? not when you have the stove pumping Right. <laughs> it can be. It can. Be, it, it is harder to heat than a house, but you know we have a, a wood burning stove, so we're we're good. And security, then, like I don't know, is there other barges pulled up beside you? What kind? What's the setup where you are? Where you're moored? Um, we are essentially moored at what's known as a soft mooring. So, uh, Waterways Ireland there um, do not provide any services to us whatsoever. It's just a section of canal that happens to have a lay-by next to it where we can park and there's a slipway. There's a small jetty there as well and that's it. But there's about 10 boats living there. It's a very tight-knit community. We all know each other very well. You know, we always, there's always somebody at their boat. So if anything, if anyone's lurking around looking to, to borrow our bicycles without permission, you know, we, we know about it pretty quickly. Yeah. So it is secure enough? Um, maybe not as much as the house, but, you know, we've, we've never had any difficulty, you know. So, uh, how long more do you think you will be on the boat before you'll be able to, um, you know, because as you say, you're saving for, for the house? I would say we're another five years at least. But the thing is, once you live on a boat for a while, it's hard to ever imagine not living on a boat. It's a really beautiful way of life. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, have you not been sucked into the way of life by accident almost? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I certainly could not see a point in the future where I don't have a boat of some description because it's it really is a magical way to live and spend time. Now you can't you can't just like unmoor and, and head off for you know down the canal can you or like how do, no, do no, people do we that? Can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we have the full freedom of of the canal circus. Um we went up to the Flat Hole in Mullagar this summer. 
um, brought our, ho- our house with us, stayed at the flat hole and came back down. Oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> that sounds like such a... Uh, like who else could do that? You're like a snail. You could bring your house everywhere with you. Mm-hmm. It moves uh, about the p- pace of a snail as well. <laughs> Which again is, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, surely. There's a certain pleasure in a slower pace of life, yeah. So, you tell me then, when when did you find out about these proposals? Um, I think they were announced a couple of months ago and the word spread pretty quickly through the community. Um, we all started to read the proposed bylaws and kind of get a grips with them and start to um, try to understand the impact it would have on our life. And I have to say, it's not just the proposed fee increases. There are some other rules in there, which I think they're trying to introduce, which are worded really badly. And they would seem to be attempting to give Waterways Ireland powers greater than the Gardaí in some cases over boat owners. Okay, now I I don't know about that side of it. And if we just stick with the fee side of it, because I know we have been asking Waterways Ireland about that. they say, just to, just to give you an idea of their response to us, uh, they point out what you've just said there, that the, the bylaws haven't been updated for over 30 years. That's when the fee of, what is it, €278 Euro was set. Um, so a lot has happened since then. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, there's better health and safety awareness. There's a need to cl- keep water clean and free from pollution. New greenways and blueways uh, are in place and um, more people living on waterways. So they're saying that these are draft bylaws that they're looking at and they're putting these yeah. out to public consultation. They've received 500 submissions. I presume you've made a submission and your, your neighbours there have made submissions. Um, yeah. They say all of these will be considered. Uh, we note that, um, uh, that, that yeah, they say this is just one of a very broad range of proposed draft bylaws um, and they've received many submissions on, on this and will be examining them closely and their considerations will be balanced and reflect the support and concerns of those who made the submissions uh, while also taking ne- account of our obligations to protect and enhance the spectacular natural resort which, which is our waterways. Now you'll accept Waterways Ireland does have a right to charge people who are moored on those waterways and to use that those fees Absolutely. for, for, for Absolutely. protecting yeah. the waterways. Yeah, I do. I do indeed. And I, we also want the waterways to prote- be protected. You know, as a community, we do our see, see ourselves somewhat as stewards of the waterway. You know, we keep an eye on things. We report anything that we see. We do our own litter pickups. None of us are, are putting any pollution into the water. You know, that, that, that none of us are polluting the water, essentially. And, and we agree with more than we disagree with waterways, if you know what I mean. But the fee hike is just, it's outrageous. I mean, and we did put in proposals. We sat around the table and talked amongst each other. What, what way could they introduce higher fees? What way would it be fair? And we came up with a few, such as, you know, incrementally increasing them rather than one huge block or perhaps grandfather rights for people who've been living long-term on the boats already. You know, it just remains to be seen what they do come back with once, yeah. you know, once they've reviewed the draft. Well, you see, they they say the new fee structure is based on a report uh, commissioned from KPMG. Um, and this report recommended a new annual permanent mooring prices ranging from 7,865 for a serviced urban mooring to 3,575 for an unserviced rural mooring, which is where you are. That's even more than you were. You were calculating mm. there. And um, they say KPMG said the fees, uh, which are obviously multiples of the current fees, are more than 40% lower than comparable prices in Scotland. 
So is it the case that you've had it too good for too long, David? <laughs> you know, in terms of... Um, yeah, so that KPMG report was done without consulting anyone, uh, any of the, the homeowners or the boat owners, for one thing. But the next thing is that they looked at Scotland, as you said there, and I think they also looked at the some of the, maybe in Belgium, they looked at some equivalent countries where there are homeowners or, or boat owners living on the water. And the difference between Scotland and those other countries and Ireland is in every one of those cases, those boats receive services. They receive electricity hookups. They receive more um, pump outs, you know, sewerage pump Mm -hmm. outs. They receive um, secure car parking with security gates and things like that. We have none of those facilities. We're just living on a soft bank. Every time we get a toilet pumped out, it costs us 90 euros. And that's about every six weeks. Whereas, you know, there's there's a toilet pump out facility on the canal at Castleknock and it's been broken since 2006. Right. They want us to pay for stuff that we're not receiving. Do you, know, do you understand? Yeah, absolutely. That there's a difference in terms of what's available for that kind of... The, totally, the, those totally. The, the, the provision of services on the Irish canal is basically zero. Out on the Shannon waterway, there is good services provided, but it's only provided to recreational boaters. They literally turn the electricity off in October and turn it back on in March even though people are relying on it for their homes. And how many people are relying? I mean, how many people are in the boathouse community in Ireland? That's difficult to quantify. I know, I think a survey was carried out that found 200 residential boats, but that, I honestly don't know. I, I, I get the feeling there's probably something around 400 households up, up and down the country. I don't know how many people exactly. Yeah, God, I'd love to, I'd love to it's find very, out. It's a t- Yes, it's it's, it's a, a tiny minority. It's a small no, minority, but minority. but um, it's uh, yeah, it's an, it's a big lifestyle choice, and I'd love to know more about it actually and hear more about it. Listen, David, best of luck with that. No doubt we will be hearing more about this because uh, obviously it's still in uh, the proposal stage. Um, but uh, many thanks for bringing that to our attention today. Talk to Joe on oh eight one eight seven one five eight one five. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. And we were reminiscing yesterday about old Halloween traditions that are, I think, in danger of dying out. And I would be very, very sad to see those go. Phil, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you indeed, Casey. Yeah, you came up with one I have never heard of. And in fact, I, to be honest with you, Phil, I'm doubting it. I'm doubting you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually saw it. I checked with my husband and he thinks it's about 25 years ago. OK, tell people what we're talking about. We're talking about kicking the cabbage in mayo. <laughs> on uh, Halloween, yes, on the Halloween kind of couple of days, coming down this road with heads of cabbage and kicking them. And kicking them where? <laughs> Kicking them into the ditch, kicking them as they went along like a football. <laughs> and you couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and, and you say this is an actual holiday, a Halloween it was, tradition. Yes, I was living, we were living in Sligo and we were going to Mayo for holidays and came down this road and there was tremendous action with these cabbages. They were all being kicked and we asked them, oh, they said this is for Halloween. Do you think they could have been pulling your leg? I don't know. I don't know. But we've all every time Halloween comes up, we think and we say kicking the cabbage. Uh, so Phil, it was something that actually did happen. Well, look, if the if another memory, another memory I have is my 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 cousins being in their house in Limerick, 
I was an only one, but there were six of them. And their mother was a Clare woman. And I think the Clare people are very tuned in to all of this stuff to do with Halloween. Yes. But but we had saucers on the table during Halloween, during the actual festivities of that night. And there was sand and there was water and there was the ring. And then there was something, I think, like a little cross. I'm not sure. There was a rosary beads, I think, yeah. I think it must have been. And you were blindfolded. Yes. And it depended on which you touched. And that told the story of what your life was going to be like. We all avoided the rosary beads if we could have possibly helped it, but we couldn't see. Yes, that we did this. This was something we did every Halloween as children. Yes, it was. A sort did of you a, really? And did you really? Yes. We spoke. Yeah, we we were talking to the, the 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 expert in these traditions yesterday, and they were saying this is because yes. the the veil between. The, the other world and this world was at its thinnest at this time of year and that's why the f- you, you were supposed to be able yes. to foretell people's fortunes. Um, yes, but, yeah. uh Oh, hang on a second now. I'm, um, if the cabbage, here we are, uh, blindfolded <laughs> local ladies. Yes, I know I'm, t- I'm, it appears you might be onto something here, Phil. Um, good, blindfolded good. local ladies would go out into the fields and pull up the first cabbage they could find. If their cabbage had a substantial amount of earth attached to the roots, then their future loved one would have money. Eating the cabbage no. would reveal the nature of the future husband, bitter or sweet. Oh, Isn't that very good? So we weren't we weren't on our own, really. It was happening. You didn't it imagine happening. it, Phil. It actually no, was no. something that was happening. <laughs> and I, can I can I apologise for doubting you for a minute? No, I know you didn't doubt me because I, I, I'm not usually given to rubbish, really. But we did actually see it and we asked them and they told us this is what it was about Halloween. But they didn't go into the detail that you've managed to get. Yeah, I don't know where that's coming from now, but that's what we're told in a way that there is an actual... But that's uh, great to hear that, yeah. Th- there's a, r- a rhyme to the reason. Listen, Phil, thanks for that. I have a couple of more here that I want to try and get to. Breach, Breach, good afternoon. Good afternoon, how are you? I'm listening to that previous lady. I'm from Mayo and I had heard of the kicking of the cabbage, but I'd never seen it done. Oh, well, there you are now. It actually has yeah. happened. That's amazing. I've literally I literally never heard of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, you, you would have done these games yourself, would you, back in the day? Oh, yes. Back in the day. We did the bobbing for apples and we did the apple hanging from a string from the ceiling spinning and you had to try and get a bite. And you had, yesterday you were talking to someone about the flower. Yes. Now we didn't do it, but my sister-in-law's family, because they revived it and they do it with their kids. They put, ducking your head into the flower and trying to find a coin or something. You know. I wonder but where I that comes from say, or what the idea that no is. No idea whatsoever. We just enjoyed it. And you make your but own barn brack, do you? I, I make a brack anyway. Fairly regularly. And but I will now, because of what you said yesterday, I was so well enough daft to be disappointed in something like that. But not putting the ring in the barn rack, you know, really. I mean, what does it cost and how much time would it take to just do it for a month, you know? So what I'm going to do now is make a few bracks and, and get some cheap, cheap rings and wrap them in uh, greaseproof paper and put them in the bracks. Fair play yeah. to Bridge. You single-handedly will bring back the tradition. I will bring back the tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Fair play. Oh, listen, Bridge. Hang on there. You can listen to Tommy. Tommy apparently can give us a, a first-hand account of the cabbage issue. Okay. <laughs> Tommy, good, yeah. a- good afternoon. Good afternoon, Katie. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about it because, I mean, this has gone back for me 40 years this ago. Is, yeah, I grew up yeah. in, in North Roscommon. And at Halloween, all right, um, 
you would actually see the cabbages on the road. And I remember just as a child talking to my parents about it. And um, yeah, it was just a tradition. And I remember it used to happen every single year. You'd actually, I think farmers used to be worried about it at the time because people would go into their fields and take out cabbages and kick them around. But you'd actually see the cabbages on the roads around Halloween. And then, like, this is over 40 years ago. I'd completely forgotten about it, never heard of it since. But it definitely yeah. was a thing, Cer- certainly in North Roscommon anyway. Well, yeah. I was my father now, I think. It would have been my father's generation, which is going back a little bit, I can tell you. But it, it would have been him, I think, I heard talking about. They used to get up to awful different you know, this is, yeah. this, is, this is kind of the the kind of pre-war version of antisocial behaviour. I feel. I feel. That's, yes, it is. It is. It would be well, pre-war or just Dad was born in 1931. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, this, that's, this, that's this, Phil this, I'm talking to now again. Is it? No, it's Breach. Oh, that's Breach. Yeah, is Phil? Phil, yeah. are you back on as well, Breach or Phil? Yes, indeed. Well, yeah. does that now clear things up here. for you? Thank you very much indeed, Katie. Indeed, I'm yes. relieved <laughs> that it wasn't a mirage. <laughs> no, no, no de- it was, de- it was the not. fairies. It was definitely the fairies. You see, you were out at Halloween. The fairies. Yeah. You'd have been at home. <laughs> well, you- uh, Guy, uh, I've got, just before I go, Pauline, we've only a few, a few minutes left, or one minute left. Pauline, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Katie. Um, I know I was thinking you about my father's barn back. It was in um, the early 1940s when there was no such thing as dried fruit um, because he couldn't import anything. So he made a beautiful barn brack with um, beetroot, carrots and apple, which he chopped, he cooked, chopped up very finely and used as fruit. And because there was very little sugar, he put honey in the barn brack and, of course, a ring and a thimble. Oh, and, um, what and was the thimble? What was the thimble? You, you would never marry. You would be a spinster. And the button, you would be a bachelor if you got the button. And if you got the ring, you were the first person to marry. And there was one other little thing was a wishbone. And you could wish for anything you like. And you could buy those little uh, trinkets in a, in a bag uh, to stick into the cakes. Wow. To the barn brack. And that, that was the nicest barn brack we ever had. It was beautiful. You did these things sort of, during a, the war. Kind of a cross between carrot cake and barn brack now, I think. Well, pa- that's just it, exactly. <laughs> Pauline, I have, before, to, I have to take my last break. Pauline, thank you so much for that. A lovely insight into another time. Indeed, we'll take our last break. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Joe Duffy! Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And that's it on Sound Today. We had James Feeney. Our BCO was Shane Galvin. The programme was produced by Tara Lockery Grant. A series producer is Annette Egan. I want to thank all the team because this is my uh, last day on the programme for now. Uh, Joe is back with you on Monday. You can see me again if you really want more on the Records Show on 6.30 on Sunday or on Upfront on Monday night. But for now, uh, good luck, goodbye and stand by for Ray. 0818 715 815 stays open until 3.15pm or email joe at rte.ie